0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to the Old Testament, to the book of Hosea. I'll invite you to be finding the book of Hosea near the end of your Old Testament. Hosea, the 11th chapter. That's where we're going to be studying from this morning. This is probably not a really familiar passage of the Bible to you, but I want to talk about it this morning in a very special kind of way that I hope will make it very memorable for you, especially as we think about what today is in our nation. Today is Father's Day. And lots of folks are taking time to honor their fathers. Happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. Uh, on this special day. Uh, But I'd like for us today to not focus so much on our earthly fathers. I'd like for us in the sermon today to think about our heavenly Father. And Hosea the 11th chapter is really going to help us to think about that in a very particular kind of way. Let's read together in Hosea chapter 11. Read with me in verse 1. Hosea 11 verse 1. The Lord says through His prophet, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. I want you to imagine, if you will, a rebellious teenager. Think of a rebellious teen and think about some images that might come to your mind. Maybe what immediately comes to your mind is maybe a young man with a leather jacket and a green mohawk and cigarettes in his pocket. Or maybe a young lady with nose piercings and ripped blue jeans and a can of alcohol in the other hand. Maybe you're picturing something entirely different than that. But really regardless of that physical appearance that you're thinking of, what is it that makes that teenager rebellious? What is, it? is it the clothes necessarily? No. Is it the piercings or a tattoo? Nah, not necessarily. What really makes that teenager rebellious is the attitude. And the spirit that is behind that, it has to do with an attitude of defiance and disrespect. They will not listen to anyone. Why? Because because they've got it all figured out. They take and they take and they take and they are utterly ungrateful. They're mean. They're self-centered. All they care about is having a good time and pleasing themselves even if that means hurting the people who care about them the most. They will not communicate with their parents. In fact, they're trying very hard to distance themselves from their parents because all they want to do is to cut loose and to do their own thing. Now, what some of you are thinking right now is, Josh, I've had kids like that in my class at school. Or maybe what you're thinking is, Josh, I've had kids like that in my own home. Or maybe what you're thinking is, you know what? I was one of those rebellious teenagers myself. We're talking about a kid who's gotten old enough to start making some decisions for themselves. Mom and dad no longer have to hold their hand every single step of the way. They're starting to branch out, starting to create their own identity, starting to try new things. Even if all of that means trampling all over the expectations and the desires and the wishes of their parents. I don't care what you want from me. I don't care what you've done for me. I don't care what you're afraid is going to happen to me. I want to do my own thing. That's the spirit of rebellion that we're talking about. Now, I don't pretend to understand or to even know all of the difficulties of having a rebellious teenager. At this point, I'm still kind of a spectator in that. I've got little children, but they're still very little. They've not yet reached that age of of defiance and rebellion where all of that is possible. And so for me, as an outsider looking in, what it appears to me is it appears to me that having a rebellious child is one of the most painful things that a parent can ever experience. To have a son or to have a daughter just spit in the face of your authority, to have a son or a daughter who turns against you, to have a son or a daughter who wants nothing to do with you. I can't even begin to imagine the heartache and the sorrow that that causes for parents. Now, as painful as that would be to have a child, or maybe even a couple of children who are rebellious in that way, Stop and imagine and think about what would it be like to have a whole nation of rebellious teenagers, to have hundreds of thousands of incorrigible, obstinate children, and they are your kids. Wow! How in the world does that feel? Well, in Hosea the 11th chapter, Through the voice of His prophet, God tells us exactly how that feels. For the first half of the book of Hosea, you might be familiar with the fact that the Lord used a marriage metaphor to try to speak to His people. God describes Himself as the faithful husband and how Israel had been the faithless bride. In chapter 11 though, the Lord changes it up. The Lord uses a different metaphor yet staying within the family relationship and He describes Himself in this chapter as a loving father and Israel as His rebellious son. And you know, that is a metaphor that makes sense, doesn't it? That God is our Father and that we are His children. I think it's very easy, in some ways it's very natural for us to look at God as a Father. After all, He created us, He provides for us, He nurtures us, He tries to teach us, He guides us. In fact, I think that's a very comforting image of God. I think of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, where the writer there, Paul talks about how our hearts as God's sons and daughters, we cry out, Abba, Father. But you know what? If we carry that metaphor to its logical conclusion, then I think it stands to reason that at times, probably way more often than we would care to admit, we drive our Heavenly Father absolutely bonkers. We sadden Him. We upset Him. We infuriate Him. We test His patience. And kids are definitely good for that. I know that growing up in the McKibben household, it was not always easy for anyone named Danny or Kathy. That's my parents' names. Children just have a way of pushing all of those emotional buttons of their parents, the kind of things that cause their parents to lose sleep at night or to pull their hair out or maybe even to shed tears. But what I want you to see this morning from Hosea chapter 11 is that rebellious. Israelites, that rebellious Christians, we cause our Heavenly Father to experience those exact same feelings. When we are involved in sin, when we rebel against God and His law, not only are we defying the Creator of the universe, the holy and supreme God of everything, on a more personal level, We are hurting our Father. And Hosea chapter 11 shows us just how much we are hurting our Father. And so for just a few minutes this morning, I'd like for us to work along in this chapter. I'd like for us to see what we can learn about God, about God's parenting skills, about the love that He has for His children, and maybe most importantly of all, to learn what kind of children... We ought to be to Him. And that all begins right here in that verse that we just read in verse number 1. Because I want you to notice that Israel was not always that rebellious child. Look with me in verse 1 again. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Drop down to verse 3. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms. But they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them, and I fed them. I don't know about you when you read those verses there, but I picture God there almost like this father who's sitting down and he's just flipping through an old family photo book. And he's just looking at page upon page upon page of all of these pictures when his child was so much younger. That's the picture here. That here's this father looking at maybe a picture of his baby boy taking his very first steps. Or look over here, here's a picture of him holding his son gently in his arms and taking care of him. Or look over there, there's a picture of him bending down on one knee, getting down on the child's level in order to feed him his baby food. Or looky there, there's a picture of the father kind of helping the little boy ride on his bicycle, holding him by the handlebars. And then right next to that, there's a picture of the father picking the kid up because he fell over and he's crying. I imagine God looking at all of that and recalling all of those good, fond memories, all the many ways in which he had been the perfect father. He had loved, verse 3, and cared and provided for Ephraim. He had, verse 1, brought them out of Egypt. He had done that with such kindness and tenderness. In fact, that phrase there, out of Egypt I have called my son, you recognize that that actually has dual meaning, don't you? In Matthew chapter 2 and in verse 15, that passage also is used to describe God's only begotten son, Jesus. That Jesus also was called out of Egypt. God has done everything that a parent can do for their children going even above and beyond the call of duty. But that, that was yesterday. That was once upon a time. That was during those younger, formidable years when Israel was but a youth. Flash forward centuries later. And Israel is no longer that little helpless and dependent child. No, now they've grown up and now they are very independent. They want to do their own thing. And despite the pleading and even at times the discipline of the Father, what does verse 2 say? Verse 2 goes on to say that the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Here's God calling for them as they got older, calling for them over and over to come home, and yet yet they just kept running harder and harder in the opposite direction. You know, I think that happens a lot today to rebellious children in the physical sense. That there is just a pride that gets in there, that gets into the human heart, and it prevents kids from listening to the advice of their teachers. It prevents them from hearing the pleas and the cries of their parents. Maybe it even causes them to not even hear the admonitions of law enforcement or court officials. Why in their ears all that they hear is that old Charlie Brown sound of wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah as they go further and further and further away. And that's exactly what God's describing happened to Israel. All those miracles, all those mighty works that God had performed for them in their presence, all those victories that He had given them in battle, Even all of the afflictions, the famines and the drought that occurred that was used to try to get their attention. All of the messages that God sent time and time again through the prophets in the ears of the Israelites all it amounted to was wah, 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 wah. How sad. Because look at what happens when rebellious children don't heed the guidance of their father. Verse 5, They shall not return to the land of Egypt But Assyria shall be their king. Notice here about the Assyrian captivity. Because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities. Consume the bars of their gates. Devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, He shall not raise them up at all. In fact, drop down to the end of the chapter. Verse 12, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Chapter 12, verse 1, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt. God is calling for them. But when rebellious children want to live like rebels when they want to live like anarchists, then God says anarchy is what you'll get. That the sword will rage. Violence will be everywhere. Cities will be destroyed. People's lives are going to be turned upside down because bad times are a-coming. And in some ways, we could read those verses and yes, we could look at those as being the punishment that God is going to administer on His faithless children and And there's a sense in which that would be entirely correct. But I want you to think about as well that these terrible events that are described in these passages, in many ways, they are just the natural consequence of their actions. That is, when people are bent on turning away from God, this is going to be the outcome. That is the law of cause and effect. In the language of Galatians 6, it's the law of sowing and reaping. And I think this is probably the part of parenting that is the most difficult. This is the part that makes changing dirty diapers and pulling all-nighters with a fussy baby, it makes all of that look like a cakewalk. And that is when parents have to allow the natural consequences of their children's actions to just take their course. We have a term for that. We call that tough Love. That is a parent who takes a strong stand against their child. They put their foot down against a child who is on a serious path of self destruction. That, hey, if you're going to persist in taking drugs and drinking alcohol, then you can't live in this house. Or if you're going to run around with those folks doing those kinds of things, then don't call mom and dad when you're in jail and you're needing bail money. We will not protect you. We will not uphold you even if you call my name. I will not deliver you for as long as you're going to remain in rebellion. And I must tell you, I sure do wish that we had more mothers and more fathers in our society today who were just like this. Mothers and fathers like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. Even if you're not familiar with Hosea 11, you're surely familiar with the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, aren't you? To be a parent, to be a father who is courageous and strong enough that yes, I'm taking a stand here. And I'm not going to go and rescue my child out of the pig pen. Instead, I'm going to stay right here and wait patiently and prayerfully until he returns to his senses. And I realize that that's really easy for me to stand up here and say, that that's how parents are supposed to be, and that's what we ought to do. And I would imagine that even as I say that, I would imagine that that is very, very hard to do. But the truth of the matter is, it is very hard for God to do as well. Because just like the loving Father that God is, God does not want to see His children as rebellious and as ugly and as unlovable as they sometimes are. He cannot bear the thought of seeing them hurt or seeing them destroyed. In fact, that's the next part of the text. Verse 8, verse 8, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and I am not a man. The Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Those verses, those verses are so incredibly moving because they reveal for us the very emotions of God. Have you ever thought about that? You know, sometimes we get to thinking of God as being just... He's so distant. He's so much greater than we are. He's so much higher than we are. His laws, His thoughts are so much higher than us. And we get to thinking of God almost as being just so so stoic, so mechanical, so robotic. But look at these verses here. These verses here show us that God has feelings. You thought That's an amazing thought. God has feelings. He is emotionally torn between love and justice. That I can't give up on my kids that easily. I cannot bear the thought of seeing them destroyed like Adma and Zeboim. Those may not sound like familiar terms to you, but those are cities that saw their downfall when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Maybe that gives you a little bit of context. God says, my heart just won't let me do that. My compassion is so overwhelming. And if you are a parent, especially if you are a parent who has a rebellious child, I realize that there are moments where you feel like you just don't have anywhere to turn. Maybe even within the congregation in which you are a member. You look around and everybody else has all of their family and their children are faithful and... They just don't understand. Yes, they care, but but no one here can truly sympathize and really understand what I'm going through. If that is the case, can I urge and plead with you to turn to God? To confide in the Lord about that. Because He, better than anyone else ever, He knows exactly what you are going through. But I want to be very clear even as I say that. At no place in this passage or anywhere else in Scripture for that matter do we read of God compromising on His standards. Nowhere do we read of God, well, I'll give in a little bit over here and I'll cut some corners over there. No. We don't read of God overlooking or excusing Israel's sin. That is a mistake that I think a lot of earthly parents make. But what the Lord's example shows us is that we must not ever bend on those principles of truth and righteousness. Because what we see here is that God's overflowing love and compassion and His kindness, what it does is it buys His children a second chance. Verse 10, They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when He roars, His children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. You know what those verses say? Those verses say that God holds out hope for reconciliation. That's what's going on here. Once those natural consequences of sin have run their course... God looks forward to a day when His Son will return in humility and in reverent and godly fear. That when that rebellious teenager is willing to put away his pride and his ego and he's willing to listen, to listen to his father who was right all along, God welcomes them home. Now I'm not saying, I want to be clear here, I'm certainly not trying to suggest that every child who gets the tough love treatment is going to realize, oh yes, I realized the error of my way. I've been wrong. I, I, I've been living the way that I should not live. And that they just come right back home in penitence and in sorrow and in humility. I, I can't promise that. There's no way that I can promise that. Just like I can't promise that every Christian who goes astray, they go back into the far country of sin, and they end up receiving maybe the chastisement of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that, the chastising and the discipline of the Lord that's designed to be for our good. I can't promise you that every person who receives that, that they're going to repent, that they're going to come back to God, and that they're going to revoke and and leave their stubborn ways, and they're going to submit to the Lord once again. It doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes people remain so stubborn, And sometimes people's hearts become so hardened in sin that they never return. There are children who have never returned to their earthly mother or father. And even worse, there are Christians who have never returned to their heavenly father. And in that is maybe a little bit of good news. And that is that God doesn't force anyone to return against their will. He doesn't. He doesn't make people do things that they don't want to do. Instead, what the Father does is the Father opens the door and then He leaves the door open for as long as He possibly can. He waits. He hopes. And He offers forgiveness to penitent hearts even when we don't deserve it. And I don't know about you, But I am eternally grateful for a God that I serve a Father. I have a Father like that who doesn't just give up on me, who doesn't just cast me into the fire whenever I make a mess of our relationship, which happens quite often, I will admit. I'm thankful instead to have a Heavenly Father who is patient with me, who loves me far beyond comprehension, beyond what words could even say, and a Father who only wants what is best for me. What God wanted from His children during the time of Hosea is the same thing that the Heavenly Father wants for His children today. That is, He wants us to love Him in return and that He wants us then to grow into His image. You know, parents, isn't that something that you usually consider a compliment when someone says about your child, Oh, look at him. He's the spitting image of his daddy just kind of causes us to beam with pride a little bit. Or look at her. Boy, she's as beautiful just like her mother. We like that. We invite that. Well, in much the same way, what God our Heavenly Father wants is He wants to look upon our hearts and He wants to look upon our lives and He wants to see Himself reflected in us. He doesn't want to see that stubborn, rebellious teenager who just wants to do their own thing. No. Instead, he wants to see children who are walking reflections of their holy and righteous Father. Now, as I step back and as I... Take a look at all of that and as I think about Hosea chapter 11 in kind of a big picture view, at least two things stand out to me. Number one, one, being a parent can be really, really tough. You know, if God has this kind of a roller coaster relationship with His children, then I think it's safe to conclude that parenthood from an earthly standpoint those of us who are mothers and fathers and we are totally imperfect, it's going to be equally tumultuous if not significantly more tumultuous. Good parents are always going to be fighting for their children. Which leads me to this second big takeaway from this chapter number 2. And that is that God, God doesn't want to lose you. He doesn't. He doesn't want to lose you. He doesn't want to lose me. He doesn't want to lose anybody. Hosea chapter 11 makes that absolutely clear. And that is exactly why God fights fiercely for His children. Not only does God invite you into His family, but He then fights and claws every single day to keep you in His family. He will not allow the world. He will not allow apathy. He will not allow the devil to take you away without a fight. His love for you, his love for me, will not allow him to just sit idly by and do absolutely nothing. Instead, his love prompts him to act. And to act on our behalf because that's the love of the perfect Father in heaven. You need to be thankful for that. You need to live in view of that. And you need to respond to that if you've never done so just yet. Would you bow with me as we go to God in prayer? Our dear gracious God, We come before You this morning thankful to You so much for Your Word. We're thankful for passages like Hosea chapter 11 that paint a picture for us, a portrait for us, that's so easy for us to understand. Father, we are amazed and we stand in awe of Your great and steadfast love. Father, it's hard for us to even fathom that You can love weak and sinful creatures like us when so often we rebel against You And we do things that are very unlovable, but we praise You. And we thank You for Your kindness and for Your mercy and for Your love. Help us, Father, to never take that for granted. And we ask, Father, that You would forgive us, that as we turn and come to You trembling, that when we come to You in humility, penitent, Father, we're asking that You would forgive us of those sins that we've committed against You, and that you would hold them against us no more. Help us, Father, that we might be molded more and more into your image so that we can be like you each and every day. We thank you for your Son, Jesus the Christ, that makes that possible. And it is in his holy name that we pray, and amen.